Welcome to our newest Hearts Unite the Globe hug patrons. Annie Olchek, we sincerely appreciate your support. Thank you for joining our community and making a difference through Patreon. Judy Miller, thank you for being our first Buzzsprout supporter for Bereave But Still Me. Buzzsprout started a new program where you can actually support the podcast of your choice. There are so many ways you can support Hug. All you have to do is visit our website, heartsunitetheglobe.com, to see how you too can help empower, educate, and enrich the lives of individuals in the CHD and bereaved communities. Thank you all for your continued support. I was very fortunate that Dr. Young said that David should lead as normal a life as he can. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna. I am Anna Jaworski and the host of your program. I'm so excited to welcome back a very special guest. Last week, we talked with Roseanne Franco, and we learned about her family of faith and how their faith played an integral part in David's early life. And I'm sure we'll see that thread play throughout his entire life. But today's show is entitled Lessons Learned from a Longtime Heart Mom. Once again, we have Roseanne Franco. She was born in Manhattan, New York, and currently resides in central Connecticut. She had five children, Roseanne, Vincent, Andrew, David, and Philip, and she was married to her husband, Frederick, for over four decades. She is also a grandmother to 11 grandchildren, 10 heart-healthy grandchildren, and one angel. Roseanne spends her time reading, still mothering her children and grandchildren, and helping out at her church. This week, we'll talk to Roseanne about lessons she learned from having a son with a serious heart defect in the mid-1960s and how pediatric cardiology has changed over the years. She'll also be sharing with us what advice she has for other families of children with congenital heart defects. So welcome back to the program, Roseanne. Thank you. Today, let's talk about some of the lessons that you've learned along the way in raising David to adulthood. So first of all, let's talk about where David had his first surgery and what you learned from that situation. His first surgery was when he was age five. David, from the time he was born and the difficulties they finally found with him, don't think they fully knew the extent of his defect. They they knew about the VSD. He, luckily, he was sort of a healthy kid. I mean, he didn't get a lot of colds or things like that, not early on. He managed to do well. That's kind of surprising, knowing he was raised in the Northeast and it's very cold there. You had Mm -hmm. two other children who might have been bringing germs home from school. So it would have Mm -hmm. been completely reasonable for him to have been a sick baby. Now, you were living in the Northeast, but I don't believe he had his surgery in that area. No, he didn't. I was given two choices. I could have gone to Boston Children's Hospital with David. The other was the University of Alabama in Birmingham because Dr. John Kirkland had left the Mayo Clinic and he was the head pediatric surgeon down at UAB. Wow. So we chose that. It was really directed to that. Mm-hmm. And that was set up for the following March. So David 
had a birthday. He was five in December. Then we had the date for March when he was five years old. Most of his critical stuff has always happened in spring. Again, he was there right before Easter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then this, his open heart surgery was Easter Monday. Wow. David had the sniffles, not, not a full-blown cold or anything else. But we got on the plane and went. My heart was in my mouth, and I was terrified. We were going alone, so to speak. My husband couldn't come because there were other children. He had to work. Fortunately, through a friend in Hastings, their aunt lived in Birmingham. They made arrangements for her to pick us up and take us to the hospital, which was a blessing, a real Mm -hmm. blessing. Sure. Mary, she was a dear. We get to the hospital, and of course, they start to check him, and they see that he's got the sniffles, so they wouldn't even let him go to the pediatric floor. He was on the adult floor, uh, cardiac adult floor. It was kind of a weird setup, but um, anyway, we made friends with a, a nurse who took care of David. He was five years old, and he was on this adult floor. How ironic, because now he's an adult and going to a children's hospital. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's just the absolute reverse. But I know. That's kind of funny. Okay, I so know. here you are in Alabama, far from home, far from your family, and you're separated from your children, but you're with this actually world-renowned surgeon, Dr. John mm-hmm. Kirkland. He's one of the great fathers of pediatric cardiology, so it's, yeah. it's pretty amazing. So tell me about the surgery. The first thing they had to do was a cardiac catheterization, and that was done by a Dr. Bargeron. So then they finally let him go out to the pediatric floor. That was kind of eye-opening to me because the parents of the children who were waiting for cardiac surgery were very reclusive in that they had come from other places in the country too, and they didn't socialize at all. They didn't hmm. talk to other parents, and they didn't, they didn't come out of the children's rooms. Well, I'm a very social being, and I need to talk to people. So I would walk the halls, talk to the nurses, talk to everybody. Met some wonderful people while I was there. The other extension of the floor was cardiac, but it was adults. Met wonderful people there some patients, some families of patients, and so forth. So I was kind of peculiar, and I guess they thought I was some sort of a mad woman because I could talk to people and try to share things with them. And you know, It's that teacher but... in you, Roseanne. We didn't read this in your bio, but I know you were a Montessori teacher and you were a principal, and that's the teacher, the helper in you coming out. Yes, and also to keep my sanity. Sure. I not isolating. And I didn't think it was good for David to be isolated either. No. Then they decided when the surgery was going to be. And the protocol at that time was 20 shots intramuscular of antibiotics, I guess penicillin, in in the backside. This was hard on the kids because it affected the muscle. So they had these tricycles on the floor. They encouraged the kids to ride the tricycles to keep exercising those muscles. Oh, my goodness. I could just picture David on one of those tricycles. <laughs> well, you had to stay out of his way because 
he was so angry about the shots. He knew when they were coming, I'd be there and we'd try to pacify him. I mean, he was a terror and he would just scream and he didn't want it. <laughs> of course, they were very kind. Now, this is, this is pre-op and then they did it 20 post-op too, but this is pre-op. Oh, wow. So what David chose to do was he'd get on that tricycle and when Dr. Kirkland and all the other doctors were doing grand rounds, David would ride down the hall and he'd run right into all the doctors. Oh my gosh. Yep. <laughs> yep. He did. Were you mortified? Well, yes, a little bit, but I couldn't do anything about it anyway. <laughs> I mean, yes, of course. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, I know. <laughs> oh my goodness. After David's open heart surgery, they had, which they did with a lot of the children, they attached a pacemaker. Mm. And it was a, an external one. Mm -hmm. Now, it was explained to me that when they went in to close up this VSD, they had to, the location of it was that they had to cut through what's the bundle of hiss, as they called it. And because of that, he had to be on a pacemaker. They weren't sure whether it would be permanent or not. He comes out of surgery. He has this pacemaker, and it was external. If you understand that, he carried around this thing on his tricycle, <laughs> and he's racing still into the doctor's feet and causing all sorts of chaos. There was also an incident this is after his surgery. We had met a family there, and their son, Paul, and David got to be friends. Paul, he had to have open-heart surgery. David and Paul got together. <laughs> and one night, I had gone back to the hotel, and David and Paul found what was what they called the pump room, where they had all the heart-lung machines. Oh, no. And... They got in there. I don't know exactly what they did, but they caused a little chaos in the hospital. Paul said it was David's fault. David said it was Paul's fault. <laughs> <laughs> they threw each other under the bus. <laughs> right. They're, they're both five years old. I mean, what are you going right. to expect? Right. Sure. So in the meantime, they had implanted that pacemaker, and he was going to have it for the rest of his life. Um, but it was big. It was yeah, big. Yeah. David was skinny. It was placed right below his rib cage in the front, not up above. So this thing bulged out. So the advice to me is to try to make life as normal as possible for these kids and let them get on with their lives as best they can because you're fortunate while you have them. So let them be normal and let them feel normal because they really don't feel normal. David never did with that pacemaker all his life. Every time we went to the beach, he wouldn't take off his T-shirt. He didn't want anybody to see his zipper marks and he didn't want anybody to see his pacemaker. Home Tonight Forever by the Baby Blue Sound Collective. 
I think what I love so much about this CD is that some of the songs were inspired by the patients. Many listeners will understand many of the different songs and what they've been inspired by. Our new album will be available on iTunes, Amazon.com, Spotify. I love the fact that the proceeds from this CD are actually going to help those with congenital heart defects. Enjoy the music. Home tonight forever. Texas Heart Institute were offering us a mechanical heart and he said, no, Dad, I've had enough. Give it to someone who's worthy. My father promised me a golden dress to twirl in. He held my hand and asked me where I wanted to go. Whatever strife or conflict that we experienced in our long career together was always healed by humor. Heart to Heart with Michael, please join us every Thursday at noon Eastern as we talk with people from around the world who have experienced those most difficult moments. You are listening to Heart to Heart with Anna. If you have a question or comment that you would like addressed on our show, please send an email to Anna Jaworski at Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com. That's Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com. Now, back to Heart to Heart with Anna. Roseanne, before the break, you were painting these fabulous pictures in our mind of little David on a tricycle running into the doctors and... I could just imagine what that was like for you, especially since you were there all by yourself. So let's talk about the support that you did have. It sounds like there really wasn't much support. There was not. The only support I had was, remember I mentioned the nurse on the adult floor? Mm -hmm. She befriended me and invited me to their house for dinner during this. So I could talk to her once in a while, but she was on an entirely different floors. She wasn't into pediatric cardiology. Then I met people in my rounds with David on his tricycle going around. I met a gal named Dot, and her mother was in the hospital. Her mother succumbed. She died. But I had met the whole family who would come to visit her mother. So Dot, once in a while, would say, come on, let's go out to lunch or something. Uh And we could talk, you know, mm-hmm. about that. But what kind of support did you have as a heart mom? I didn't. Mm-hmm. I didn't. And my support was through all these other people that I met. We became friends. And then Dot came back to the hospital. She'd say, let's meet in the cafeteria. I had those kind of friends wow. to be able to talk to. Mm-hmm. But they were new friends. It wasn't a support group for pediatric cardiology right, or right. any of You had just made new friends because you're a friendly, sweet woman. That's amazing that you ended up kind of creating your own support system away from home. I did. Also, there was another patient there. He had been a pharmacist in the hospital. I did not stay overnight at the hospital all the time because it was horrendous. They would come through all through the night and everything else, and it, it was just dreadful. And I thought, I can't do this and still be there for David during the day. Mm -hmm. So eventually I took a a motel room not too far away and used to walk to the hospital. But what would happen is when I decide to go back to the hotel to sleep, I would bring David down (laughs) to David. His last name was Lyons. And I'd sit David on David's bed and he'd read him the rest of 
the monster at the end of this book. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how I could leave David, oh. go, go to sleep, come back early in the morning, met a wonderful priest in the hospital. He was stationed in the veterans hospital across the street, and he celebrated mass every morning about seven o'clock. So I would get there at seven, go to mass, and then come back to the hospital and be there the whole day till I went home to sleep. So you created your own routine around yeah. these people who could right. be a source of support for you. So you had somebody helping read a bedtime story to David. So he had mm -hmm. that routine and he knew Mr. David was there <laughs> just in case because mommy had to go home to get some sleep. That was brilliant. Mm -hmm. That was absolutely mm -hmm. brilliant. The good Lord was looking down on all of us, really. It worked out. I was very grateful. So I, I did have a support group, but not in the context of what you're looking for. Right. But I didn't know any better anyway, so <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I really didn't. <laughs> I mean, really? Well, now I understand you a lot better. I mean, David and I have talked about you, and you and I are actually really similar people because I also use the Montessori method when I taught my children, but I wasn't trained in Montessori like you were. I just read some books about it. I understand that you were a teacher, a principal, and you were working while you were raising your child who had a congenital heart defect, not to mention your other healthy children. Tell me about mm -hmm. some of the challenges that you faced during that time of your life. Well, it was very interesting. I had not gone to college right from high school. And I went out into the business world and, and worked. Finally, my husband said to me, why don't you go back to school? Now, David's been born, but I got involved in Montessori prior to my getting my bachelor's degree. Did some studying, went to workshops, and was friends with a, a really talented Montessorian and did a lot of reading. But I thought... I really need more of a background in education to begin with. Luckily, one of the local colleges started what was called a weekend college program. Mm -hmm. You went a full weekend, mm -hmm. every weekend, and this was for adults, right. and got an associate's degree, and then went on and completed a degree at another weekend college. Both of them were Catholic institutions. I... I really enjoyed going back, but at the same time, I was studying Montessori and boning up to do all my uh, practicals and that and my testing, so it was a busy time. Yeah. In David's hospital stays at Montefiore Hospital, I used to bring my books and my, my notes to get my certification. Talk about multitasking. <laughs> well, yeah, you had to. So... That's how I got into Montessori was through a friend, and I really thought it was the best way to go for children to learn. I also have to tell you that my father was a New York City policeman, mm. and he was very practical. He was very bright. And Papa, when I was a little girl, my sister and I were the only ones at home. We traveled a lot by car, and this is back in the day when people didn't Many people in the city didn't have cars. Sure. But my father believed that you had to experience and do and see things to learn about them. And I always think of him as my first 
Montessori teacher. Hi, my name is Jamie Alcroft, and I just published my new book, The Tin Man Diaries. It's an amazing story of my sudden change of heart as I went through a heart and liver transplant. I can think of no better way to read The Tin Man Diaries than to cuddle up in your favorite Hearts Unite the Globe sweatshirt and your favorite hot beverage, of course, in your Hearts Unite the Globe mug, both of which are available at the Hug Podcast Network online store. Or visit heartsunitetheglobe.org. Heart to Heart with Anna is a presentation of Hearts Unite the Globe and is part of the Hug Podcast Network. Hearts Unite the Globe is a nonprofit organization devoted to providing resources to the congenital heart defect community to uplift, empower, and enrich the lives of our community members. If you would like access to free resources pertaining to the CHD community, please visit our website at www.congenitalheartdefects.com for information about CHD, the hospitals that treat children with CHD, summer camps for CHD survivors, and much, much more. Before the break, Roseanne, you were talking about some lessons you learned that your father taught you, and I think that is so beautiful. You have such a lovely family connection. I can see where everyone has been interwoven throughout your life and how even after they pass on, they're still with you. And to me, that's very inspiring. Let's talk about some advice that you have for heart parents today. I know things are very different today than when you were raising your children, but you've actually taken a very sick baby and raised him all the way forward over five decades. So why don't you tell us what you think is important for parents to know so their children can have an optimum quality of life? I was very fortunate, and David was, that Dr. Young, he said to me that David should lead as normal a life as he can. And that's what we did. We tried to keep it as normal as we possibly could. That is a lesson that I think parents need to learn Mm -hmm. with children with chronic illnesses to make it as normal as possible. Yes. And to try to bring them up so that they are happy, healthy, as they can be, but that they also can survive in society. It seems to me like David had a really, really normal life, even even in getting into trouble in the hospital. I mean, you raised mm-hmm. him in such a way that you didn't cripple him. You've seen David go through five decades of life, and I know his medical history started out a little rocky, It's surprising to me he made it to age five before he had his first surgery. It does me too. I know, right? But I know that he's gone through different phases in his life where he's had certain medical problems. What has been the most difficult experience that you've had watching David go through some of these problems? I think the biggest one was as an adult. David was living in Texas. He was newly married, and he was seeing a cardiologist, but not a pediatric cardiologist. David called me, told me he had to have surgery, and he said he didn't know whether he should go to Houston or should he go back to UAB. I said to him, I would go back to UAB. Maybe they have all your previous records. You know, a little bit of the lay of the land there. He decided 
to go there. He goes there on his own. They did the testing and they were going to do the surgery. Now, Kirkland had left by this time because David was 26 at this point. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Pacifico was to do the surgery. Dr. Pacifico had been Kirkland's protege when David had his first surgery at age five. Right. So that sounded good. Mm -hmm. How did you mother him? It's so much harder once they become adults. Yes. Well, David and I have always been close, and I, I think it's because we bonded so quickly when he was born. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> so he would keep me apprised mm-hmm. on the phone, mm-hmm. and he was doing well, comparatively well. I did go down, I guess it was right after the surgery, when I got the call that he had a stroke on the table. I couldn't believe it, and they got him to the floor, and they kept denying that he had a stroke. But you could that tell, was the couldn't frustration. you? It yeah. was dreadful mm-hmm. because there was one nurse that got David up out of bed. He said he couldn't see, and nobody paid attention. And as they were trying to walk him, Nurse Farrell and I, she said, of course he's had a stroke. Look at the way he's walking. He was walking like the legs out and stiff and no direction. Mm-hmm. Then they did the check on the brain and everything else. And the neurologist said to me, yes, well, his brain has slowed down. And I said, well, that's pretty obvious to me, but <laughs> what can we do about it? You know? Yeah, right. In the meantime, David couldn't see. So scary. Yeah. He was blind for about a week. Oh, my gosh. And we called in specialists. The eye specialist did say he couldn't track. I mean, he tested him all. I had the sense that he thought David was malingering. Oh, my goodness. Really? Because when they brought David back after the stroke and they had him on the floor in his room, he became combative, which is Mm -hmm. typical, Mm -hmm. which I didn't realize, Mm -hmm. typical of stroke victims. Mm -hmm. They can become combative. And David pulled all the leads out of him. Oh, my goodness. Wow. So it was a very difficult time, Mm -hmm. very difficult time. Mm -hmm. Dr. Pacifico had left for a conference. He wasn't around. It was a horror show for David, for me. I called up Pam and I said, you need to get here because I wasn't sure he was going to make it. Oh, my goodness. That's terrifying. So He was going back to Texas. His wife was still there. She was going back with him. I will be very honest with you. We took him to the airport. I saw him get on that plane, and I didn't think I would see him alive again. He was in such bad shape. Oh, my goodness. He was in such bad shape. It's a brain injury. Sure. That's what he was stuck with. So he goes back to Texas, and thanks be to God, he connected with um, Dr. Harris. Mm Mm-hmm. And I get, I don't know whether he got Dr. Harris through uh, Ruth Ann Curtis, um, who is an angel, an angel. And it was through those two that it was discovered with another CAT scan that David had a stroke in the temporal portion of his brain. And I asked why it wasn't found before then. Apparently, 
sometimes they don't show up on CAT scans or things right away. And remember, David could never have an MRI because of his pacemaker. Sure, sure. Yeah. So it, it got very complicated. And he spent, I've forgotten exactly how many years, in a pretty bad state emotionally, depressed and, and physically in not great shape. But he came through. He came through. Then they had a, a, a child, Sarah, his daughter, and uh, Pam went to work and David raised Sarah. And he's done a great job. He has done a great job. So if you had to leave one parting piece of advice for mothering an adult with a congenital heart defect, which is totally different than mothering a baby with a heart defect, what would that one piece of advice be, Roseanne? You do have to let go because you are not in charge of, it's not a child anymore. And the hardest part is really letting go and having faith enough that they'll get through. But that's all you can do. I agree. You carry it around all the time, whether they're five years old or 30 years old or 50 years old. Sure. Mm -hmm. But they are their own person. They have to be independent. I can give all the advice in the world to David, but it is his, it's his body. It's his decision. He has to do what he is comfortable doing. Right. I think that's beautiful. I think that's spot on. And it brings us full circle to last week's show and this week's show, having a talk about faith. I can see how faith has been a significant element in your life and in David's. Well, thank you so much for being on the program today, Roseanne. This has been completely delightful. Thank you, Anna. It's hard going over some of it, but it's still good. It's cathartic. You have to get rid of all the worries. Yeah. And talking about it is a help. Yeah. It is. And I think us old-time moms, <laughs> and I can't believe I'm an old-time mom already, but I am because I have a kid who's in his 20s, and for the heart world, that is a miracle. But for you yeah. Me to be talking to a mom of a child in his 50s, wow, it's been such an honor. And I do believe that our stories and our advice can help others who are having children with heart defects today. I hope so. Oh, I know it will. That does conclude this episode of Heart to Heart with Anna. Thanks for listening today. Find us on iHeartRadio and subscribe. And remember, my friends, you are not alone. Thank you again for joining us this week. We hope you have been inspired and empowered to become an advocate for the congenital heart defect community. Heart to Heart with Anna, with your host, Anna Jaworski, can be heard every Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time.